0: Hello and welcome to Suds, the weekly podcast where we take our favourite moments on the Startup Daily Show on Ausbiz every weekday at 2pm and turn them into 20 minutes of juicy, juicy commentary. I'm Simon Thompson, editor of StartupDaily.net and beside me is... Elliot, Hasty. and Simon, I think you started off with a
1: bit of a lie. I think we aim for 20 minutes every time but there's just so much to talk about and we just love doing it that I think we often... Sort of breach that moment, don't we?
0: Yeah, exactly. The universe is expanding, Elliot, and so does our podcast on occasion. One thing that's contracting at the moment, though, I have to say, is Tiger Global and its latest VC fund, which has been hit by around about 17 billion in US hedge fund losses.
1: It's just like, I mean, watching the markets this week has just been a sea of red. I think you've really got to look for those bright green spots. Um, And what's happened to Tiger is really just exemplifying that, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. And the Financial Times had the story and it points out that, you know, it's nearly depleted the company's latest VC fund. As a consequence, of course, the big news this week is that Tiger has doubled down in what is now a $75 million Series A round. For Australian used car platform Karma. Uh, Of course, it bet on it last year in a $28 million seed round, and now they've just raised again. So still active in the Australian market. And of course, I think the investment will keep going. But uh, across the board, I couldn't help but noticing that Atlassian shares are down more than 50% for 2022. So... Mike and Scott maybe having to um, you know go to a payday lender sometime soon to help pay the bills. <laughs> Could you imagine being that payday lender? Yeah,
1: I'm trying to buy AGL. I just sort of need a few more bucks to get me through to next month.
0: But go to before pay and just sort of four easy repayments on your AGL shares. I mean, it. Yeah,
1: it's it's absolutely insane, and we're seeing this on equity markets. We're seeing this on commodity markets. We are, of course, seeing it on crypto markets as well.
0: Oh my God! Talk about hold my beer. Um, stable coins. I mean, you know, that so much for stability. The whole terror story is rather extraordinary, don't you think?
1: I absolutely like. You know, just watching this. I came in on Monday and you know, we were talking about crypto and someone's like, Oh, you've seen what happened overnight. I was like, No, I just got in at 7 a.m. Like, no, I haven't. Massive depletion. And part of it is driven by what has been happening with the Terra coin. Um now, of course, you actually had a conversation uh this week all about it. Um, but the Terra one is interesting because it is unlike other stable coins. It's technically an algorithmic stable coin because it's rather than being pegged to this, say, a traditional Fiat currency that like the USD, like most of them are, it was actually pegged to a token to sort of maintain that $1 mark.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing was there were predictions about six months ago that this could easily be gained and broken. And, of course, how many discussions do we have about the quality of algorithms where they start to go horribly wrong? Of course, it has... For a Terra USD at this point in time, which I think was off something like 90 or 95%. At least 96 at one point, yeah. Absolutely smashed. So we spoke to PD Silva from. Jim- Geminio this week, uh, about what was going on, just to try and take it through it. He makes the point that it is one of the riskier stable coins, and he saw four key aspects in what was happening there, including short selling and market terrors in general. Here's what he had to say
2: This is not a unique situation just for the crypto markets, right? Like, you know, if you look at the, the NASDAQ, with the whole, um, you know, inflation numbers going up uh, in the US, especially, like, you know, the especially tech stocks getting hardened up, right? Um, so it's kind of like, you know, a domino effect has come to the crypto market as well. Uh, but the timing couldn't have been worse with the whole, the terror situation, um, losing it's, it's peg right. Um, so it's something we remember is like, you know, during the volatility times, right. Um, the safety mechanism is to go into the stable coin. So when it's that it's kind of like a deteriorated that opportunity. So that kind of like create a market panic. Um, again, like, you know, you have to remember that not all stable coins are created equally. Right. Um, so there is kind of like four stable coins you can get in the market. Uh, the first one is, uh, the fiat back one, like for example, Gemini dollar tax dollar, uh, the circle kind of like dollars. The second one is the commodity back, like for something like gold. And the third is probably the crypto back. Like, you know, overcollateralized kind of thing with the, the, uh, token comes in. Then the fourth one is this uh, the algorithmic stable points right so that that's probably one of the uh the interesting and also um uh, risky one in the in the space so the Terra comes under that right um so the with the Terra uh, the, the the usd so when it's said else it's algorithmic stable points uh what it means like you know it's kind of like you know combined with a lot of um uh game theory and also to include a lot of um uh, what do you call pairing involved with it so with the, with the Terra one, what happened was, um, so when, when it lost the, the peg, it never could come back to it. Right. So it's, it's a combination of few things like, you know, went wrong with, with especially the market. Uh, then then the, the, the George Soros style, like, you know, sophisticated uh, short seller and the market panic and also not having guardrails to uh, to protect when they in a time of arrest.
1: He does explain it really articulately because if you are just watching it, you'd be like, right, it's having massive impacts. But what actually is causing it? It's quite a difficult thing to get your head around. I know that I had to read plenty to understand and I sort of understand the space. Well, that's why
0: I <laughs> let you do the reading and then I just ask you about it, Elliot, because, yeah, they all look like unstable coins. And, of course, the discussions about Bitcoin and just crypto in general in recent weeks have been they thought there was a 28000 Uh, flaw on this US dollars but of course now and again I asked PD about this there's a potential there for it to go to 27 and they aren't being smashed across the board talking about terror and what was going on I did say look can this happen again you know and he talks about the fact that the company has poor mechanics when it comes to being able to liquidate something like 11 billion dollars all up was the run absolutely astonishing numbers Um, you know would banks struggle with that? I think they'd be able to cope. But, of course, you know, there's infrastructure already in place and regulators who make sure infrastructure is in place around this. This is still very Wild West. Here's what he had to say about Luna.
2: The foundation is like, you know, because uh, the, the Terra Luna is kind of like, you know, backed by the Luna and the Bitcoin, right? Uh, so I think uh, at the highest peak, like, you know, they would have like, you know, close to 4 billion worth of uh, Bitcoin. So during this process, because they didn't have like in you know, a proper mechanism involved to like, you know, to liquidate, so they have to send it this to um, the market makers. Uh, so during that process, they had to like, you know, sell uh, probably like, you know, three to I'm not sure how much exactly the it's been sold, but the large number of like, you know, Bitcoin being sold out, right? So that's, that's including selling pressure. So, so the 30,000 was the kind of like a support uh, for the Bitcoin uh, evolve. Uh, but now it's actually moved to 28,000. So it might even go back to the next support level at like 27,000. So if it breaks, um, there could be a little bit of worries around the Bitcoin prices.
1: It's one of those things, like you, and you know, you had in the conversation with him that, you know, there's been comments by a variety of market commentators. Janet Yellen, the US um, Treasury Secretary, also had comments to say about stable coins. And it was quite funny in her speech. She's like, oh, I've read about this terror thing, um, proving that she hadn't really got that across it. But as she was saying, is that it proves the need for regulation. Um, And, you know, we've had those conversations before, but it is just one of those things. It can happen to any sort of investment vehicle. They can go down in the red. It can all collapse. We've seen it before. But a lot of the current investors of either crypto or equities actually haven't seen it before.
0: Yeah. And aside from that, Elliot, when I go to Twitter for all my investment advice, such a great resource on that front. Of course, many were accusing it of being a Ponzi scheme. And of course, even in heavily regulated markets, we've seen organisations that have been Ponzi schemes. Hello, Bernie, if you're up there in heaven listening. Um, It happens. And I think this one will probably die a quick death. Or do you think it'll bounce back?
1: I don't know. There's a ARCA fund in the US has doubled down and maybe that's because it makes up a giant part of one of their funds and they've said, it's going to get back to that dollar. I, I really don't go know. Go hard or go home. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you're sort of like, well, if you haven't lost yet, if you haven't sold yet, you haven't lost. It's my philosophy, it's the Voss's philosophy, and nothing ever bad happened to the Winklevoss twins.
0: It's Shakespeare's philosophy in Macbeth. That's the moment where he sort of says, I am that steeped in blood, to return would be as tedious as going over. And that's why he keeps going on a killing spree, because, of course, it's just no point turning around and going back. And this is how he <laughs> hit over the 20-minute mark, so we go into Shakespeare.
1: <laughs> although I think one of the other conversations that you had this week, Simon, sort of goes into the real value of, you know, crypto and of Web3 and of blockchain. You did, of course, talk to the guys at GD1 who have just launched a crypto fund um, and it's, you know, dedicated to looking into that space and seeing where the real world applications are.
3: Yeah,
0: we caught up with Vinesh Kumar, who is the co-managing partner at Global from day one, the New Zealand VC, and Nawaz Ahmed, who they've recruited as a general partner for their crypto fund one. They're currently in the middle of raising 5 mil US$, for this fund. They're going to close it off in a few more weeks or the first uh, stage of it before they go on and raise what is essentially seven and a half mil or so New Zealand dollars. Uh, And the idea is to invest in the next generation of Web3 crypto entrepreneurs and projects, not just here, but globally uh, from pre-seed to Series A. So we got them on the show to have a little bit of a chat and I asked about the ambitions for this project.
3: Our fund will be looking at uh, early-stage projects, so from pre-seed to Series A, uh, companies building decentralized finance projects, applications or protocols, uh, DAOs, so decentralized autonomous organization uh, ap- application and infrastructure, so what allows DAOs to scale and to really um, do well. Uh, we'll also be looking at Web3 and crypto infrastructure, so what allows for the scaling of crypto and Web3 uh, to the masses. Which is going to be super interesting, Um, and alongside that, we'll be looking at consumer applications. So applications which will onboard the next billion users to crypto. Uh, These are, you know, the the major sectors that we'll be looking across, Um, and I'm sure we'll be also looking at tangential areas which complement these, you know, large buckets that we'll be um, looking across. There's certainly, um, you can
1: you can even just hear from talking to them. They are passionate about this area. They are. They know what they'll looking for, there is a mandate, um, they've got it all sort of figured out, and they are having the conversations with those investors.
0: Yeah, so it'll be really interesting to see how this pans out because, of course, DeFi on DAOs are going to be part of it, the NFTs, the whole box and dice of this uh, brave new world that investors are looking And Of course, we've seen it happening locally as well. Airtree has put up a similar fund to look to invest on this front. And I did ask uh, the pair of them and Vinesh whether they are going to come across the ditch and have a look in Australia for startups as well. Um, you know, this fund will have a global mandate, which is um, something, something that
2: is different for kind of New Zealand-based uh, venture capital firms. Um, and so, you know, we are, we're excited to be able to offer that global mandate. Um, and so, absolutely, you know, we are open to those opportunities. Um, But again, it's kind of a a great learning opportunity for us too. And so getting someone like Nawaz who has um, really honed his skill and experience by kind of learning by doing um, in the kind of early part of the uh, Web3 crypto um, ecosystem and then now translating that into kind of the uh, more wholesale investor product uh, through venture capital, that's something we're super
3: excited about.
1: As you mentioned, Simon, you know, they are currently... In the middle of raising, they are having the conversations about how they can actually expand this and fulfil sort of those those promises for their mandate.
0: And they've got uh, a range of investors, which is really interesting. Of course, um, Nawaz Ahmed himself is an angel investor who did his uh, who's recognised for his work on the first New Zealand stablecoin, Tech Mint. So he's uh, no slouch on this front. But I did ask him about who was backing this project.
3: Currently, our investors, you know, consist of uh, family offices, high net worth individuals, angel investors. We have, you know, general partners from larger VC funds globally. For example, we one of our LPs is Brett Gibson, who's a general partner of Initialized out of U.S. Um, one of them is Stephen McKeon, who who runs a fund called Collab Currency, uh, which is a crypto VC. So we're quite um, diverse in terms of our LP base. And we're also talking to, you know, uh, institutions as well, uh, which we're in early stages of conversations with.
1: Now, it is a little bit of a crypto-heavy show. It's been a pretty heavy crypto week, but that is just sort of the name of the game at the moment because, of course, we did catch up with Andrew Senator Andrew Bragg.
0: The Minister for Crypto in the next Morrison government.
1: Well, this is is what was interesting because I had a chat to him and, you know, he was talking about the need for Australian firms to be behind the first ETFs that launch on, on the market um, for the spot price crypto, which did happen uh, this week. So we now have four cryptos that you can enter into. So there's two uh, from ETF Securities, which is part of 21 Shares, and there's two from Cosmos um, as well. And that gives you exposure to the spot price, which I guess at the moment you're getting for a very cheap price. Um but, buy know, the dip,
0: Elliot. Buy, buy the dip. Honestly. Are in you the, in?
1: Why not? My cash isn't doing anything sitting on the sideline. I'm ignoring all the experts on Ausbus that are like, keep the cash. Just keep it there. It's fine. Um, but, you know, I did have a chat to him and, you know, it is an election cycle, so I couldn't help but ask him, you know, well, this is your plan. We know about their plans for what they want to achieve in crypto. We know about their regulations. We've talked about on the sh- on the show before. You know, but I did have to ask, well, what happens if you don't win government next, next week? What is, what is the alternative? And this is what he had to say to that.
4: Look, for people that are interested in this space, um, it's not an agenda where you want to pursue a political objective. This is about ensuring Australia can be a net beneficiary of these technology changes because the, the disruption is going to be massive. And we want to be in a, in a position where we can advantage advance ourselves uh, and take advantage of the, frankly, opportunities to break down Australian oligopolies, to introduce more choice and lower prices to the market. And I'm sure that both sides would want to do that. The trouble is, only one side has taken the trouble to actually articulate and develop a plan. So. If we win the election, I'm confident we can bed down a good deal of it this year. Uh, And if Labor win the election, it's, it's unclear what they would do. The good news for everyone is that I'm sure that now, given the amount of work that we have done, that the Treasury would be advising whoever is going to be the Treasurer on 22 May that this is an important area of reform. As he makes
0: the point, Elliot, it is an important area of reform. I haven't heard anything from the Labor Party. Hello, Ed Husick, and everyone involved on that side of politics. If you do have some policies around this space, it would be interesting to hear them before May 21. Of course, I think Labor had a big announcement around batteries this week. And there is starting to be news in the tech space. Maybe they're saving the best for last, Elliot, because it feels a little bit quiet when it comes to the campaign. And election issues around technology and startups and that front.
1: Well, what I will say to this as well, though, obviously, in that conversation with Bragg, he did talk about we're the only party doing anything on that. I was like, well, you are in government, that's sort of the point.
0: Um, Well, uh, Josh (laughs) uh, Josh Frydenberg, of course, is in trouble. They're talking about he may not retain his seat. So even if the government was returned, they may not have the Treasurer who has been backing this project up until now. But it's also one of
1: those things that you can have bipartisan issues where Labor goes, actually, yeah, that's a great plan. We'll just keep doing that in office. You know, you don't have to have – you don't have to disagree just for the sake of disagreement. And, you know, we did have this conversation with Sally Ann this week and it was a great conversation about what the tech community – is calling for when it comes to what to expect next Saturday and it pretty much boils down to have a vision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone is crying out for that on every front. Labor has been a small target. And as your point, to your point, Elliot, uh, basically a lot of the time they're saying, yeah, I'm with him when it comes to policies. There aren't too many major policy differences between the coalition and the Labor Party. But uh, Sally-Ann's points, and and I just love her. So, of course, she's the CEO of Cicada Innovations, ex-Google MD out here. And, you know, she just has this great vision for the country and how we can change our world.
5: Please, 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 dear future Prime Minister, whoever you may be, could we have a vision for this country that goes beyond the next week and beyond the next term? You know, we need to sort of put a stake in the ground and have a bold statement of future to drive industry, to drive research and development and to drive community toward and investors towards that outcome. Now, whether that's going to be we are going to be the most sustainable country on the planet, we're going to be the most prosperous, we're going to have clean and green mining, it's also not a myth, that is potentially possible. Um, we need to have that stake in the ground and then we need a couple of supporting things to back that up. You know, everything starts with a why and it starts with articulating the vision of why are we going to do this and what does it matter for our future? Um, but then you need to have, you know, policy, policies and sustainable long-term policies that drive investment that bring people alongside of you. Uh, We have to be real. I'm really sick. Can I myth bust for a moment, please? I'm going to get on my little high horse here. But (laughs) I want to just myth, I want to myth bust this one. If we're going to look to Israel, if we're going to look to Silicon Valley, if we're going to look to South Korea, Germany, any other country and say we need to be more like them, then we actually need to have a policy that drives to more investment in R&D.
1: I just really enjoyed that and please do go listen to the full interview because she sort of does break down the four areas. Um, but I think it's just it; she's absolutely right because th- we do have these arguments. We are listening to these skirmishes between, you know, politicians. We are listening to sort of background noise constantly. But could any of us tell you what a party's vision is for the country beyond the next election cycle? I I personally couldn't. I think their main vision at this
0: moment is make me the government and uh, I think that's one of the issues and I think it's one of the reasons why the Teal Independents are performing so well in the marketplace because, of course, they don't have big budgets, they don't have infrastructure behind them. Of course, yes, they do have some backing from Simon Holmes Accord but many of them are getting their support and cash from the local residents, and I'm really interested in sort of seeing this, let's say, threat to the duopoly of the coalition and Labor starting to emerge because a crossbench can create great things. This is
1: I absolutely love it. I, I completely agree with you. Like, it's hard to break the duopoly, but if you have these independents that are like, well, this is the needs of my community, and what my what I'm hearing because I'm at a community level. Is this so? Let's get some vision, let's get some, um, you know, prosperity for the country. And as I talked to Sally Ann about, it's time to start asking the difficult questions, it's time to start demanding these things from our elected officials.
5: How about we do some of these things and how about we have a bit of bold ambition as a country and a nation um, to be different and to be value additive to you know not just our local community um, and our country but to the world. So again, maybe a bit Pollyanna, but you you don't ask, you don't get. So let's keep asking and let's keep demanding. We all have, you know, we all have the opportunity to go to the polls, we all have local members um, that we'll be electing, we have people in the Senate. It's an opportunity for each and every Every one of us and to raise the voice and ask the question say, What is your bold v- ambition for Australia and your bold vision? How are you going to drive investment towards that? What's the infrastructure play look like? And you know, how are you going to make sure that we're attracting talent for the next 20 to 30 years? Because if we really do want a prosperous nation, it's not going to be in a three year time frame, it's going to be in a 30 year time frame, and to bring everybody along, it's going to take more than that. So let's ask the difficult questions.
0: We talk about disruption all the time on our show. Of course, remember when a black named Malcolm Turnbull was running the country and said disruption is your friend uh, all those years ago when the NISA was about? But uh, it might be interesting to sort of see a little bit more disruption in Canberra in the next few weeks.
1: Let's see some disruption. I personally, the Patuta Advocate, did a great one on your point, Simon, of grinning Malcolm Turnbull arrives at Bondi pre-polling booth dressed <laughs> head to toe in teal linen. Um, but two to advocate you are honestly what is pulling me through this election cycle, I, I have to admit. Uh, what, you didn't watch any of the debates this week? Oh, look, I love Car Crash TV as much as the next person. I, I really do, but it's, I, I just don't think in those grabs there's enough time to actively and adequately explain your positions or policies.
0: We could have called it VAFS, Voting at First Sight. Oh, then I'd watch it,
1: yeah. Like put them down with the psychiatrists that are clearly there to just make some money out. Uh- and call it a day. like Get them to really hash out their issues and write on a piece of paper whether they're staying or going.
0: Speaking of calling it a day, we probably should. How are we going? We've made it for 20 minutes I think we've week. made it. All right. <laughs> okay, so if your gym session is programmed for 20 minutes, you can wrap now. We're going to wrap. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll catch you Monday at 2 p.m. with the Startup Daily Show on Ospies. Don't forget to read the site, startupdaily.net. Elliot,
3: thanks as always. See you Monday, Simon.